This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Turn to Genesis chapter 25, and I will turn to Acts chapter 3 and just read Uh, the text that we read this morning. And I'm reading from Acts 3, verse 11. Now, as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us, as though by our power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. And particularly that phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this morning we ventured into uh, some thoughts regarding that. And uh, we said that the God of Abraham, this Abraham represented the God of covenant, and then the God of Isaac represented the God of sacrifice, and that the God of Jacob represents the God of transformation. And we got as far as Abraham and Isaac, but we ran out of time regarding uh, Jacob, so that's why I'm returning to this tonight, just to finish it. The God of transformation. In Acts, sorry, in Genesis chapter 25, uh, in verse 19, it says, This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, very obviously, any pregnant woman will tell you that the baby inside is going to kick from time to time. It's going to shuffle around a little bit, and that is felt and can be seen. But this seemed to be much more than that. This seemed to be continually And because it was twins, it was amplified much, much more. And it was worrying her, something must be wrong inside me. There's something wrong with the babies, or the baby, maybe she was thinking at that particular time. And there was something wrong, because even before these two were born, there was contention between them. So that's letting us know, even before they were born, there was contention between these two brothers. And that would continue for the rest of their lives. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And the older shall serve the younger. So God made it very, very clear here in no uncertain terms that he had made a choice even before they were born that the older would serve the younger, which is not according to custom, not according to practice, but it was according to God's choice. Oftentimes, God makes choices that we find hard to understand, but we don't always need to understand them. We need to accept and to receive God's choice, because God is wiser than we are, isn't he? And so, the days were fulfilled for her to give birth. Indeed, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau, which means hairy. Afterwards, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, or supplanter, or deceitful, or the one who grabs the heel. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And so the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. 
we can see here immediately that these two are very, very different. They're different in character. They're different in personality. They're different in, in uh, how they are equipped for this world. And one uh, was a very much an alpha male, uh, Esau. He was the outdoor type. He nothing better. He loved them being in the woods with his bow and arrow and killing animals, whether for fun or whether for food. He didn't mind either way. It was sport to him. But Jacob was a mild man. Uh, it seemed to be that Jacob preferred uh, to be at home uh, in his tent, making some food in the kitchen. That seemed to be the way. So they're very, very different right from the moment they were born. Even physically, they looked very different. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Favoritism in a family is not good. It causes dysfunction. And as you can see here, both of them had their favorites, and it was very obvious which was which. Esau loved, sorry, Isaac loved Esau because of the wonderful food that he would get him. Perhaps he saw in Esau a lifestyle or a type of a man that he wasn't and maybe wished that when he was that age that he would have been like that, but he wasn't. But he favored him, greatly favored him. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob seemed to spend much more time at home, and she loved that. That was her favorite son. And so there was a, a demarcation line was drawn between these two, and sides were taken. And you know that's not going to be easy for the rest of their lives. This is going to be dysfunctional, and it certainly was. And then it says, now Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name is called Edom, which means red. And then Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. Well, what a strange thing to say. Uh, this was not just something he just said off the top of his head. This was something he had been thinking about deeply. He saw his father getting old. And he realized that God, because no doubt his mother, this being his mother's favorite son, no doubt had told him in no uncertain times, that certain terms, that the blessing of the firstborn, even though you're the secondborn, but the blessing of the firstborn is going to come upon you. God's already chosen you for the blessing of the firstborn. But although that wasn't talked about generally at home, whether Isaac knew this or not, nobody's 100% sure, but whether he did or whether he didn't, he had already made his choice, and his choice was going to be Esau. And so Jacob, probably knowing that, seeing his father getting old, seeing his father's eyes were dim and so forth, and uh, knowing what the situation was, I think was saying, look, I need to do something about this. And I've got Esau here when he's weary, he's tired, he's vulnerable, he's weak, uh, he's, he's a weak man anyway, spiritually, he's nowhere, because the Bible says in Hebrews he was a profane man, he was an irreligious man, he was a godless man. And so he thought, well, I've got an opportunity here. And so he used that. So he says, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. Well, that was a big exaggeration. I'm about to die. So what is my birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And so a deal had been done. As far as Jacob is concerned, it was a good morning's work. He'd got his brother at a low point, knowing his brother really wasn't a man of great substance spiritually or any other way, and so he was able to make the deal. But that's not the end of the story. Sure, it's not. In fact, if you read 
the end of chapter 26, it says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took wives, Judith the son of Beri the Hittite, and Basimath the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So he married two pagan women. Uh, and that kind of shows you the, the depths and the level of where his spirituality was. It was nowhere, actually. But look at this in chapter 27. Now it came to pass... When Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son, and he said to him, My son? And he answered him, Here I am. It says, when Isaac was old, he was 138 at this point. His eyes were dim that he could not see. And so he was just about blind. And he called Esau his son, and he said to him, verse 2, Behold, now I am old, I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, go out into the field and hunt game for me, or venison, the A.V. says. And make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die." Now, obviously, he had been thinking here, I'm old, I'm blind, I'm done. I'm going to die soon. Actually, he lived another 42 years after this. So he completely got that wrong. But he was going by his feelings, by his flesh. Now, you would think a man who was about to die in his own mind, you would think the last thing he'd be thinking about was food. I mean, if you're sick and you're not well and you're done and you're about to die, usually you don't want a big slap-up meal. But he did. And so he asked his favorite son to go out and to kill him some game, some venison, and make him a big slap-up meal. That I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. And as soon as he said that, Esau knew, knew immediately what that meant. That's the blessing of the firstborn. And even though I have sold it to Jacob, but I still want it. And dad probably doesn't know that. And, if he, if he, and even if he does know it, he wants to give it to me. So he could hardly believe his ears, but he knew what this meant. And so what did he do? He went out immediately. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And so it shows you here how dysfunctional this family. Here's a husband and wife, and neither of the two of them trust each other. And when you saw Esau going in there, probably listened to Isaac griping for days or weeks or months even. She knew something's up here, so I'm just going to go to earywig, as we would say, at the door to hear what's going on. She was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went out to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats. The old man wanted venison, deer, but she's going to give him goats and she's going to cook it so well he's not going to know the difference. So she's a crafty one, isn't she? You know, Sally knows and Claire, when she comes over, knows I don't like garlic, but they always slip it into my food without me knowing. And then they say, was that good tonight? Oh, it was lovely. And then they give a big smash of garlic in that. Crafty, you see, slipping it in there. Well, here's a crafty wife here. She says, get me two kids of goats. And I will make... I mean crafty in the nicest sense, by the way. <laughs> Not in a derogatory way. <laughs> I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. And then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it, that he may bless you before his death. 
And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I will bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. You know, when you read that, you almost shudder. Let your curse be upon me. I'll take the consequences. And boy, she did take the consequences. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory foods such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father, I wonder did he think about the voice? Or I wonder was Jacob very good? At voices. Some people are very, very good at voices, aren't they? They can mimic voices. So maybe he was quite good. Maybe he was able to kind of put the voice of his brother on here. He said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Now there's his first lie. And once you start lying, it's hard to stop. Once you get down that slippery slope, you're not going to stop with one lie. And he couldn't stop with one lie. I am Esau, your firstborn. Lie number two. I have done just as you told me. Lie number three. And please arise, sit in need of my game. Lie number four that your soul may bless me. And so here he is lying and lying and lying and lying. He's on a roll now. It's easier just to lie. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? Now the old man's blind, but he's not stupid. He's beginning to think, boy, that was quick. I know you're good, and I know you're a great hunter, but boy, that was quick. How did you do that so fast? So he's getting a little bit suspicious. And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Ah, the greatest lie of all. Now he's incriminating God in his lies. Now he's making it sound spiritual. Your God brought it to me. Boy, that's a lie, isn't it? And Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feed you, my son. You see, he's still suspicious. And you know what? God has given Jacob every opportunity here to repent and to stop this and to have done with it and to hold his hands up. Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice. So he wasn't as good a mimic maybe as he thought he was. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? <laughs> now here's a man operating in the flesh. He thinks he's going to die, and all he's thinking about was his belly, his flesh. He's heard a voice, mm, doesn't sound like Esau, but his hands feel like Esau. Let me feel the back of his neck. Oh, yeah, that, that, that just feels like Esau. But he's still not 100% sure. And every time he does this, Jacob's getting an opportunity to say, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a fraud. But he doesn't. So he said, 
He said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Another lie. I think that's about the sixth one. And he said, bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. So he came near, and he kissed him. The betrayer's kiss, the deceiver's kiss, the Judas kiss. And he smelled the smell of his clothing. And he blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine and let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. I notice also here that even though this old man now is operating in his flesh, by what he can smell, by what he can touch, by what he can hear, by what he can't see, but he's missing a, a sense, but he's got the rest of them. And that's what he's operating with. But in spite of that, God still speaks through him. God can speak through a donkey if he wants to, can't he? So in spite of it, God still speaks through him and gives this marvelous, powerful prophecy and promise to Jacob. And after Jacob got that, he must have got out of that house as fast as he could before his brother got back. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He'd also made savory fruit and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly. This shook him to his very core. Whether that was through anger or whether that was through shock, or whether that was through realizing I have done a terrible, terrible thing. But for whatever reason, he was shaken like a leaf. He trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate of it because you came and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. You can almost feel sorry for Esau at this point, although he really shouldn't because he was a profane man who did not care about his birthright. But now that he sees he's not getting it, now he cares. But he cried with a bitter cry, Bless me, bless me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, supplanter, deceiver, heel grabber? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Well, the truth really is, and the Bible makes it clear, that Esau sold his birthright. Jacob deceived his father, but Esau sold his birthright knowing exactly what he was doing. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. And what shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, 
Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And by your sword ye shall live, and ye shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when ye become restless, ye shall break his yoke from your neck. And that was not the blessing he wanted to hear. Compared to the blessing of the firstborn, compared to what Jacob got, this was terrible. He's going to have to live by his sword. He's going to have to serve this brother. Look what it says. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from here. Why should I be bereaved also of both in one day? Go away for a few days. Twenty years was the few days. Twenty years, and Rebekah never saw her son again. This was the last time she saw him. This was the last thing she said to him. She's paying a high price for her manipulation and her contriving. Rather than trust God, God told her before her sons was born, the older would serve the younger. How would that work out? How would God do that? I don't know. She doesn't know. Nobody knew. But she should have said, God, I'll trust you. But she didn't. She tried to make it happen. And now she's paying the price for this. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? In other words, if Jacob stays and he marries these pagan women like Esau did, my life is as good as over. She's manipulating again. She's manipulating Isaac again. She wants Jacob to go to spare his life, but she wants to do it in a way that just seems so nice and so right and so spiritual and so good. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you. Here's another blessing. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you're a stranger which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Here was a boy who never left home. Here was a mommy's boy, if I could put it correctly. He just wanted to be around his mother's tent and bacon in the kitchen. And now he's going to have to leave, and he's going to have to go 500 miles from his home and start a whole new life. You can imagine this would be a scary thing. This would be a big ask. But as he goes, what happens? Verse 10, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went to Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reached to heaven, and there were angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land of which you lie I will give 
to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and the south. And in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that was at his head, set up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel, or the house of God. But the name of that city had been previously Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. <coughs> and then, when you come into chapter 9, sorry, chapter 29, at a well, he meets... Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his cousin. By the way, first cousins were allowed to marry in those days. In fact, as far as I know, in Israel to this day, first cousins are allowed to marry. But when he, and I'm cutting this story short because of time. But when he saw Rachel, it says he kissed her. Not on the lips. He wasn't that bold. He just met her, but on the cheek. But he fell in love immediately. He was smitten immediately. And then as you read on, you'll see that he got to Laban's house. And when Laban found out who he was, he embraced him and he kissed him. And it was wonderful at the start. Laban was so pleased to him. And he stayed for a month. And at the end of the month, Laban says, look, you've been here a month. And you've been working for me here. What are your wages? And Jacob said, Let me marry your younger daughter. I know you've got an older daughter, Leah. And Leah, there was something about Leah's eyes, whether they weren't symmetrical or whether she was a bit weak in the eyes. But that, that says that in the Bible. There was something wrong that it didn't appeal to him. But Rachel appealed to him. I mean, Rachel was a stunner as far as he was concerned. Beauty's in the eye of beholder, and he was beholding, and he liked what he beheld. So he says, I'll tell you what he says. Let me marry your younger daughter. Laban says, okay. You work for me seven years, and at the end of seven years... I'll give you Rachel. And he was so in love. I mean, he just, he just couldn't refuse that. In fact, the seven years just seemed like, like days to him. And he worked the full seven years. And at the end of the seven years, he went to Laban and says, Laban, seven years are up. Want to get married now? Thank you very much. That was the deal. And then he discovered Laban was a bigger deceiver than he was. He had met his match in Laban. And Laban said, oh, by the way, he says, it doesn't work like that in our country. You can't marry the younger first. You've got to marry the older. But if you work another seven years, I'll give Rachel to you in a week's time, and you can have both of them. <laughs> Two for one offer. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> but he only wanted the one. But he had to agree because he so wanted Rachel. And so within a week... Now he's two wives. And that's big trouble. Because these two sisters really were not getting on. This family is not going to be dysfunctional. But he had to work another seven years, so he's had to work 14 years to get these two wives. And if you read the rest of that chapter and half of chapter 30, which takes quite a considerable amount of time, you'd find that children started to come. Now, because 
because Jacob loved Rachel, but he didn't really like Leah. God had pity on Leah, and he opened her womb, and he closed Rachel's womb. So Leah started to have all these kids. <laughs> and then Rachel didn't like that, so she couldn't have any. So she said to Jacob, look, I want to give you my maid, and I want you to go in on to my maid, and she'll give you children, but they'll really be mine. And he agreed to that. And then when Leah saw that, she didn't like that, because at that point she had stopped having kids, so she says, I'll give you my maid, and you're going to have more kids than my maid, but they'll really be mine. So he agreed to that. <laughs> so there's a lot of kids coming here. You can read all their names. And then at the very, very end, suddenly God opens Rachel's womb, and she has a child, Joseph. And what a blessing this is going to be. So now he has 11 sons and one daughter, Dinah. His 12th son will be born later on, much later on when he goes to go back home. But Rebekah dies in giving birth to Benjamin. You remember how she said because she was dying, she was giving birth, she says, call him Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. And he says, no, I'll call him Ben-Jamin, son of my right hand. So then, he's here now 14 years. Here's an interesting little bit we'll come to, and I'm going quickly because of time. He's here now 14 years. The time comes when he wants to go back home. Had enough. I've got my wives, I've got my family, I've got an entourage. It's time to go back home. And God spoke to him and says, go back home. But the trouble is, he's been working all this time for his Uncle Laban. And his Uncle Laban's an old schemer. And he's an old cheat and a fraud too. So he's met his match in him. But if you were to read on, you'll see that Laban had sheep that were speckled and spotted. And Jacob said to him, I tell you what, here's a deal, if you agree to this. Give me your speckled and spotted sheep because they would be the inferior ones. Give them to me and I'll breed them. And whatever I get from them, they'll be mine. And we'll separate ourselves a little bit so that you can come and inspect my flock anytime. And if you see any clean sheep, then they're yours. You'll know I have taken them so you can take them back. So that was the deal. And Laban thought, well, that's a good deal because I don't really want these old speckled and spotted sheep anyway. And so Jacob took them. And if you read on the story, he got hazel branches and all kinds of things and cut pieces off them. So when they stood before them, now whether this was superstition or whether this was God at work, who knows, I don't know. But what began to happen was the sheep began to breed like rabbits. <laughs> if I could use that term. <laughs> if I could mix my metaphors. And suddenly, he started to have lots and lots and lots and lots of speckled sheep. Spotted and speckled. Now here's the interesting thing. This is 4,000 years ago. In America today, in North America, there are five thousand Jacob's sheep spotted and speckled. And just last week, the Israeli government and the Canadian government has got together and they're trying to get 130 of these Jacob's sheep back to Israel to breed them. Isn't that interesting? After all those thousands of years, they're still there, some of them at least. And so... He works at this for six years. And after six years, he's got a mighty flock and he's very prosperous. And Laban's brothers, Laban's sons are not liking it. They're beginning to say, hey, he's taken over this farm of ours. Look what he's got and look what we've got. And so the time came when he had to go. And he went. And he went quickly. And he went secretly off. And Laban followed him. And you can read that whole thing about Mizpah. We haven't time to do that tonight. It's a great old story. But then, in chapter 32. 
So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Did you note that? The angels of God met him. Then Jacob saw them and said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Manaheim, which means double camp. Our camp and the angels' camp. And Jacob sent messengers before to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I have seen and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. And the messenger returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau. He is also coming to meet you and his 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. And then he prays this marvelous prayer. <laughs> and this is the unusual thing. Of it. He prays this brilliant, brilliant prayer. But if only he had believed it when he prayed it. Have you ever prayed a great prayer and then went out and did the opposite of what you just prayed about? <laughs> you pray a great faith prayer, a great prayer of hope, and then you go out and you're all worried and you're sick in the pit of your stomach just after you prayed that. Well, listen to what happens. Jacob said, Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth which you have sworn to your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with a staff. That's when I came and I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Wonderful prayer. But then he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats and 20 male goats and 200 ewes and 20 rams and 30 milk camels and their colts and 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. And he delivered them to the hand of his servants and drove by himself and drove it by himself and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between these successive droves. And he commanded the first one saying, when Esau my brother meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. So he commanded the second and the third who followed the droves. In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterwards I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before him and he himself lodged that night in the camp. So in spite of that powerful prayer of saying, God, you have promised me no harm, in spite of all of that, he's trusting in what he's going to do, how he's going to work it out, how he's going to plan the strategy. There's a dichotomy here. How many times have we have done that? We have prayed and prayed and prayed and then says, okay, Lord, now I'm going to work it out. And that usually doesn't work out very well whenever we do that. But God in his mercy comes to him. We're almost finished. And he arose that night and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok and he took them, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. He's totally and completely on his own. God at last has got him where he wanted him. Just him and God together. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Some translation says an angel. Most common tapers believe this was a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son of God. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he 
could not prevail against him. He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The title is God the transformer of man, isn't it? This is what Jacob represents, that God is a transformation God, that he changes people. He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He had been wrestling for hours. Now he's just clinging. He's holding on. He will not let go until he knows this is a heavenly being. This is just not a man he met in the desert. He knows I need your blessing, and I'm hanging on till I get it. But note this. And he said to him, what is your name? Now, do you not think that if this was the Son of God or this was a heavenly mess, do you not think he knew his name? Of course he did. The last time he was asked this question, are you my son? He said, I am Esau, your firstborn. The last time he was asked this question, he lied. So the heavenly messenger is saying, what is your name? I know what your name is, but I'm asking you, what is your name? Are you the supplanter? Are you the deceiver? Are you the cheater? Are you the heated grabber? And Jacob said, Jacob, what is your name? He said, Jacob, that's who I am. That's what I am. For the first time, he's held up his hands and admitted who he really was. I'm Jacob. But note, then he said, your name shall be no longer called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Commentators and theologians are divided on what the name Israel means. Some say it means you who struggled, you who wrestled, you who held on would not let go. Some say it simply means prince, a prince with God. But he struggled and he prevailed with men and with God, and he's a prince. And to this very day, after thousands of years, Jews are collectively known when they live in Israel as Israel. But then Jacob said, tell me your name, I pray. <laughs> and he said, why is it that you ask about my name? What are you asking that for? You don't need to know that. I'm asking you about your name. You know, don't deflect this. I'm asking about your name. You're the problem here. You're the one that needs to be changed. You're the one that I'm going to transform here. You're the one that I'm changing your name. So forget about my name. Let's concentrate on you. This is what God's saying here. And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, the face of God, that means. And my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over from Penuel, which is the same as Peniel, the face of God, the sun rose up upon him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. And quickly, if you're to read into chapter 33, which we won't, you'll find that he finally, finally met up with Esau. And all his fears was allayed because Esau, when he saw him, he ran to him and he hugged him and he kissed him. And he says, my brother. I wonder when the last time they ever said those words to each other, my brother. You see, God transformed Jacob and it was a long time in coming. But God had to transform Jacob first 
before he could meet his brother, before they could be reconciled. But God is the God of transformation, isn't he? And he transforms people. And he transformed this man. And he gave him a whole new name. And when you read through Scripture and you see when God gives somebody a new name, it's because they're a different person. They're made into a different person. He's transformed them. Simon, from now on, you'll be Peter. <laughs> you'll be Peter. And what a transformation from Simon to Peter. And what a great man of God he became. And so there's a transformation becomes. James and John, <laughs> bone urges, sons of thunder. That was then. Well, later, John became the beloved disciple, the one who leaned on Jesus' breast, the one who took care of his dear mother. See, God is a God of transformation. Saul the persecutor became Saul the preacher, Paul the preacher. And ever there was a change in a man's life, it was from Saul to Paul, wasn't it? I mean, it was a complete and utter change. It was supernatural change. It wasn't human. God had to do it. And God changes people's lives. Simon the Zealot became a great disciple and apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. That paramilitarist, that one who would have slaughtered a Roman as quick as look at him. But when he met Jesus, he was transformed into another man. Onesimus, that runaway slave who was a thief, the time he went back to his master, he was profitable, Paul says. He's profitable to you and to me. What a change. And you could look through the scriptures and you could find your own men and women that were transformed by God because he's a transformational God, isn't he? And every one of us has a testimony tonight that we too have been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We were lost. <laughs> we were hopeless. We were helpless. We were on the run from God, but he came and he saved us and he transformed us forever. Glory to God. Amen. And so God is the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. And he's the God of Jacob. He's the God of the covenant. He's the God of the sacrifice. And he's the God of the transformation. Glory to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your ability to change lives. Lord, it's not reformation, it's transformation. It's something that's supernatural, something that happened to us to change us from what we were to what we are today. And we thank you that that change is ongoing. You're continually changing us, hopefully into your likeness, because that's what we want to be. So Lord, as we leave this building tonight, we ask for your blessing for this incoming working week. We pray for your presence and your favor and your goodness to be upon our lives that we may be a witness and a testimony to your faithfulness. So we give you thanks tonight. And Lord, bless the prayer meeting, Lord, up the street tonight. We pray, Lord, there'll be a tremendous sense of unity and purpose together. That so on that particular weekend, when it comes together, Lord, that you will be magnified and glorified in the midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.